Father, this evening, once again, we come to you. We come to you, Lord, studying your word, searching your word, meditating on your word, because your word is life. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And teach us, Lord, we who were born in the flesh, to walk in the word. Speak to us, teach us. Use your word as a seed, use your word as light, use your word as a hammer, use your word as fire. Let it do its work, Lord. We just surrender ourselves by faith into thy hands, Spirit of God, believing that you will do your work in us. By and through the word and for the word. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. <clears throat> if you remember last Wednesday when we gathered here, we looked at uh, freedom and liberty as two concepts. Okay, freedom and liberty. Freedom is inside, liberty is primarily outside. And the coming of Jesus the first time is to bring freedom first. And freedom is from the penalty of sin. And from the power of sin and the fear of death. Okay, that's, that's the actual freedom. The freedom to walk in righteousness. Liberty is primarily in the hands of systems that govern this world. But where freedom increases, liberty increases. Okay, the liberty the Western world, world enjoys today is because of the freedom the gospel brought earlier. Wherever the gospel has not gone in, you will always see liberties are curtailed. But wherever the gospel has gone, those nations have understood the value of freedom and they have brought in liberty. But now what's happening is the freedom is going, the freedom inside, because freedom comes only through the gospel. There's no other way Man can be free inside because that fear of death, the penalty of sin, the power, what gives power to religion always continues. And Jesus did not come to establish any religion, but a direct relationship for every individual with God. And that's why we are encouraged to come with boldness to the presence of God. And when it comes to the enemy, please remember, the primary weapon of the, the, the first, the most powerful weapon of the enemy is deception. And it is through deception he causes man to sin. So through deception he made Adam and Eve sin. And as soon as man falls into sin, fear comes in. Okay, where there is no sin, there is no fear. So there was no fear in the Garden of Eden before sin. No fear. God came. Man walked with God. They had a fantastic relationship. But remember the first conversation the devil has is deceptive. And it is through deception that he causes us to sin. And once mankind has fallen or man falls, he traps us with fear. And there is only one antidote to deception. That is truth. So remember our first line of defense is truth. And in John chapter 17 and verse 17 is a very familiar verse for us by now. Jesus says, Father, sanctify them by your truth. 
your word is true. That's our first line of defense. Okay, first line. If you want to be able to stop deception, you have to allow God's word to fortify you. Okay, first line of defense is the word of God, truth. The truth sets you free. Okay, so Father, his prayer is, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Okay, the word is our defense. Sanctify means it sets us apart from what? Primarily in this context from deception. Because as soon as you know the truth, the devil's lies don't work. Okay, and in John chapter 8 and verse 31 and 32, Jesus will tell those who believed him. Okay, I'm reading from the wrong translation, but that's my old translation. Okay, NIV. To the Jews who believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold on to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Okay, first line of defense. I'm just going through the basics first, and then we will get into the core of the teaching for tonight. Our first line of defense is the word of God. Okay, and the reason we meditate and work on the word of God is because that is the truth. And then when it comes to the word of God, truth, we saw on Sunday, we have seen in many, many occasions from Joshua chapter 1, okay, and just one verse, verse 8, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it, okay, so he is telling Obey, meditate, obey, speak. Three things in that one word. Okay, you meditate upon it. Do what is told and speak what it is told. Okay, what you read, what you hear is what you think on. What you think on is ultimately what you will do. And what you do and your conversation should tally. Because words have power. It should tally. Okay, that's why God took the children of Israel out into the wilderness to shut them from all the voices of Egypt and gave them the law and fed them manna so that they would learn to think according to the word and speak according to the word. But the thinking never changed, so their conversation did not change. And the first lesson that Joshua learns, one of the first lessons he learns in Joshua in, in the book of Joshua, it doesn't matter how huge or strong the enemy, the obstacle looks, enemy for him, obstacle for us. Doesn't matter how huge the enemy or the obstacle looks, or strong it looks. If you believe and obey, if you believe and obey, it will come down. In his case, it was the enemy. In our case, the obstacles we face in life. So Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 30 will say it this way. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had massed around them for seven days. So one of the first lessons he learns is, listen to my word, obey my word. It doesn't matter how big the obstacle it looks, it will come down. Okay. On the other hand, if you listen to a lie or if you harbor a lie, Listen to a lie or harbor a lie. Doesn't matter how weak the obstacle looks, how small the obstacle looks, you will be defeated. Okay? That's the second lesson he learns. I is very small. I is very small. Just small little town. 
But he says, because you harbored sin in your midst. And without dealing with it, you went to war, you lost. Okay, the first two lessons God Jesus teaches the children of Israel and through them to our spiritual lessons. It doesn't matter how big or strong the obstacle looks. If you walk in the truth, you obey the truth, and you speak the truth, in their case, they had to be silent, okay? Speak the truth. But they had to speak at the seventh day, at the seventh round, okay? If you obey, if you meditate, you walk in it, it doesn't matter how strong, how powerful it looks, it will come down. On the other hand, if you harbor a lie, a harbor sin in your midst, and you try to fight, you will be defeated. It doesn't matter how small the enemy looks. You will also see in the light of Joshua's reaction when he is defeated, when he is defeated, fear grips his heart. He's paralyzed by fear, literally, like, you know, he's paralyzed by fear. And like I said on Sunday, both faith and fear are expressed often in words. Okay? So words is our thermometer. It tells you whether we are afraid or whether we are walking by faith. Okay? It tells us whether we are walking. So you will see Joshua's words and you will see it is fear that is gripped. So that's how the devil wins or fights us and overcomes us. And let's continue. We are not studying from Joshua, okay? So many people who are saved, real believers who are saved, in real life, in their spiritual life, achieve nothing for the king or the kingdom or very little for the king or the kingdom, because either they are trapped in sin, and they don't have the boldness to come out, though God says, come boldly, and you will be forgiven. Okay, they will be forgiven. They are trapped. It's a lie of the enemy that traps them. Okay, because the simple thing, it's like in a hospital. No, not in a hospital. If you are sick, if you, let us say, if you are sick, Nobody will say, get well and go to the hospital. Right? Will anybody say, get well and go to the hospital? No. They will say, go to the hospital and get well. Okay? But you will always this trap. Whenever believers fall in uh, sin, they don't read the Bible, they don't pray, they don't go to church. I will get well and then go to church. I will get well, then I will pray. I will get well and then I will read my Bible, which in real life we don't do it. So you've already been caught in a lie. When God actually says you have boldness to come, you no know, boldness, you have to read the New Covenant to understand the difference from the Old Testament. How many times God uses these terms, boldness and confidence to come to him? Because he knows the lie of the enemy will stop you. So, so many Christians get trapped and because they don't have the boldness to keep going to God and get delivered and then fulfill purpose, that's one of the way he traps you. Second, they're too lazy. They're too lazy. Okay, lazy. You see, if you read both the Old Testament and the New Testament in the book of Revelation, Jesus will tell the Laodicean church, buy from me. Okay, buy from me. For the five foolish virgins, remember, when the knock came and they asked for oil, the ones who were wise said, 
go and buy. Okay? There are many things in the kingdom of God which will have to be bought. Meaning, not with money. You will have to pay a price for those things. For order in your life, discipline in your life, patience in your life, endurance in the in the face of all kinds of testing that will come. These, these things don't come freely. These things need to be bought. Okay, it is easy to sit here and listen like this, but it is difficult to go back and sit and study what you heard. This is easy. That will cost you. That will cost you. All these things God will say you have to, you have to buy. You will have to pay a price. So many Christians are unbelievably lazy when it comes to spiritual things, while they may be very active with earthly things because they see an immediate reward in it or a visible reward. They see it. That if you work hard and do this, I'll get my promotions, I'll get my job. All these things they realize. But they don't realize all those things are temporary. While with spiritual things, everything is eternal and permanent. So many Christians actually are, believers, are very, very lazy when it comes to spiritual things. So either they are trapped by deception, like you sin, you are no good, you are finished, they live under condemnation, the devil deceives them, or no, that it doesn't matter, you are saved, all you have to do is reach heaven and you will get your crown. Okay, that's a second deception. You read the book of Revelation, nobody gets a crown that way. Nobody gets a crown. Or third, they are trapped by fear. <clears throat> okay, they are trapped by fear. Fear is the enemy's intimidation. Fear. Fear traps so many people because that's his weapon. Fear is his weapon. As sin came, fear came. Actually, there's a very old Indian story. Okay, not Red Indian, Indian Indian story. Okay, we Indian story. There was a mouse who went to a sage, okay, Indian sage. The mouse was very afraid of cats. The sage made the mouse into a cat. <coughs> as soon as it became a cat, it realized it was afraid of the dog. So it went back to the sage. So now it made it into a dog. As soon as it became a dog, it realized it was afraid of the tiger. So he made him into a tiger. When he became a tiger, he realized he was afraid of the hunter. So he went back to the sage. The sage turned him back into a mouse and said, I can't do anything with you because you got only the heart of a mouse. Okay? Okay? That's why when before God will do anything with any man, he changes your heart. Because with the heart of a mouse, you can't be bold as a lion. Okay? Heart of a mouse, you cannot be bold as a lion. So the first thing we looked last Sunday, it's the last Wednesday was, we looked at Romans 8.31. If, yeah, if God is for us, who can be against us? Okay? That's how you, how you fight fear and how you overcome fear is, if God is for us, who can be against us? But it begins with a big if. Hmm? If God is for us, okay? It's interesting, it doesn't say God is for you. So who can be against you? The Bible is very clear how it frames sentences, okay? If God is for you, who can be against you? So you have to get all these things very clear in your head from the word of God. The Bible is very clear. 
God so loved the world, he sent his son to die. Okay? And anyone who believes in him is free from sin, penalty, all that. But God is not for this world. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. But God is not for this world. God is for those who have believed in his message and come out of the world. Don't ever think God is for this world. No, it's not for this world. This world is been destined for destruction. And all those who won't believe also have been destined for destruction. So God is not for this world. So you have to be very careful when God uses the term if, if God is for us. So the gospel is never called the gospel of this world. It is called the gospel of the kingdom Preach to the people in the world. It's never ever called the gospel of the world. It is called the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now when it comes to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is an absolutely right now for us physically invisible reality. It is invisible, but it is real. It's an invisible reality. Please remember, real, but invisible. But the world is a visible reality. Visible reality. The world is a visible reality. Now if you go to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2 and John chapter 3 verse 5. If somebody has an app which can pick up the message version, it's interesting. Not uh, Genesis but John 3. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2 says, The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now listen to what Jesus tells Nicodemus. Okay, in 3.5. Yeah, 3.5. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and spirit. Yeah, can you read message? Yes. Yeah. Jesus said, hmm. you're not listening. You're not listening. Let me say it again. Let me say it again. Unless a person submits to this original creation. To the original creation. The wind hovering over the water creation. The invisible moving the visible. Invisible moving the visible. And baptism into a new life. Baptism into a new life. It's not possible to enter into God's kingdom. It's not possible to enter into God's kingdom. He says it was exactly what happened. You didn't see the Holy Spirit. That's why he's called Ruah or wind. You don't see the wind. The Holy Spirit, to us to understand in the form of wind, is hovering over the waters. The invisible over the visible. And when the word came forth, the invisible went over the visible and created everything. In the same way he says, the kingdom of God is invisible. This world is visible. Salvation is the kingdom of God coming upon the visible. The spirit of God coming upon man and he is born again. The invisible coming Upon the visible. Okay. And Jesus said unless that happens. You cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot experience the kingdom. You cannot enter the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God is real. It may be invisible. But it is real. That's why he always compares there to the Holy Spirit to the wind. He says does anybody see the wind? No. But he says can you see the effects of the wind? He says yes. 
You can see the effects of the wind. Okay, So when the kingdom of God comes on something that is visible, like there, God creates everything out of that. He says there is a new creation. That new creation is part of the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, there are subjects. People who do the will of God. For them, his word is law. For them, his rules are to be obeyed. They immediately realize something has happened and they are moving into a new life. This is the beginning of new life. The question is, do we believe in that? Let me tell you, one of the reasons people get very little out of the Bible, I'm talking about Christians, very little out of the Bible, because we use it more as a self-help book for living in this world. Not as the book to live in the kingdom. So if you look at an average good Christian, his life with the Bible is no different from a good Hindu whose life is with the Gita or a Muslim with the Quran. Because they are all reading it for this life. They read the book, the Bible, as, as a good book to learn how to live in this world. But the Bible is not for that. The Bible is for how to live in the kingdom. And people who have understood that, how they read the Bible is absolutely different. And it's not a boring book for them. It's not a boring book for them. It's a book which is absolutely interesting because this book agrees with that kingdom. It is living. It is real. It is like uh, like Pastor Vijay give a robot into his hands. Suddenly, like, we will be bored after some time. He won't be. Because that was his life before he came out. Even if you, I'm telling you honestly, if you buy a toy for his daughters with the remote control, daughters will forget it. He will be playing with it because it reminds him of the robot. You know, for him, it is a completely different thing. Like, we will be bored. We'll say, okay, take take it and play. But for him, it's a different reality altogether because he's connected to something that was very real for him. People who are actually understand the kingdom and entered into the kingdom are gung-ho about the kingdom. The Bible is a different book. For the others, it's just a religious text. Okay? It's a religious text. So when God comes and tells Joshua, meditate upon my word day and night, obey it, do not let it from uh, depart it from the from your mouth, that is entirely connected with possessing the promised land. Entirely connected with you. He says, if you do it, you will possess the promised land. Not only that, you will have rest from your enemies all the days of your life. What I'm telling you is entirely connected with this new life into which you're entering. So for them, the second generation, the same law that was given to the first generation was absolutely different. Both generations have the same law, but they are not looking at it the same way. Are you getting the picture? Two generations, the same law is given. But two generations see it completely different. And one of the reasons, whether you are young or old, the the Bible doesn't fascinate you is because even though you may be saved, you are reading it in terms of this world. And not reading it in terms of the kingdom that is eternal and is in you and is coming. 
when you read it that way, it changes. It starts taking meaning for this life and the coming life. Suddenly you, you realize the invisible controls the visible. Then you understand perspective. Everything starts making sense. All the things that are happening around starts making. Otherwise, there is no meaning. There's no meaning in life. There's no meaning. That's why even like Gautama Buddha or anybody born with a silver spoon leaves and walks away from palace, from the throne, from the family. He walks away because they don't see meaning in life. They're in search of meaning. And a lot of people have no meaning in life. They have no meaning in life. Meaning in life comes only when you enter into the invisible. That's the kingdom of God. Then everything takes meaning. You understand the visible through the invisible. So please understand this. This book, the Bible, is about living in the kingdom, even when we are in this world. And God is not, listen carefully, okay? God is not interested in helping us find peace and success in this world. Because this is the world that crucified his only son and is against all his sons. He's not interested. He is preparing a fire to roast this world. He's not interested in giving us great peace and success in this world. If you think studying the Bible will help us to be successful and fearless and have more peace in this world, it will not work ultimately. Let me tell you, you'll be sorry at the end. This is the manual of how to live life in the other kingdom, the kingdom of God. And when that happens, we will realize we are more fearless, we worry less, and we relate better with this world. When we prepare ourselves daily, constantly to live in his kingdom, we actually function better in this world. Because in the kingdom of God, there is no fear. There is no anxiety. There is no worry. Because there is no death. He said, anyone who has believed in me has already passed from death to life. Okay, please understand. So, those who are saved, have entered into the kingdom of God. And because they have entered into the kingdom of God, it is the kingdom of God, a person, they know they are loved. They are loved. And they don't have to do one thing to make him love them more. They know they are loved. God has loved them as much as he can love them. Therefore, 1 John 4, verse 18 works. This is from encountering the king in the kingdom. What is that? Perfect love casts away all fear. Okay. Because fear in the world and fearlessness in the kingdom, fearlessness in the world or boldness in the world and boldness in the kingdom are two different entities altogether. Boldness in the kingdom or fearlessness in the kingdom is connected with God. Our fears disappear because you know one, you have passed from death to life. Second, you know he loves you. The one who controls everything, the invisible that controls the visible, the king of the invisible that controls the visible, loves us. But for that to practically happen, was what he's telling Joshua. 
the kingdom must take over your thinking must take over your thinking you have to learn to think in terms of the kingdom that is why the renewal of the mind is prescribed in romans 12 and verse 2 do not conform to the pattern of the world because it will always bring fear and anxiety and insecurity but by the renewal of your mind renewal you will know what is the good pleasing perfect will of god in john chapter 14 and verse 27 okay i'm showing you the differences because we always have to have to see the difference because for everything that is real in the kingdom of god it is also eternal the devil will always try to give you a duplicate Okay, that's one of the things you have to always remember that the devil will only duplicate what is real in the kingdom of God and valuable in the kingdom of God. Yeah, fourteen and verse twenty-seven. Peace I leave with you. Jesus says, "Peace I leave with you." My peace I give. You. My peace I give it to you. What does he say? Not as the world gives. Not as the world gives. Give it to you. He says, "What I give it to you is my peace." So there is his peace, and there is his world's peace. and these are two different things he says i give you my peace the world also can give peace and the problem is the believer could end up pursuing the wrong peace and wonder why in spite of everything i have no peace because he is pursuing the wrong peace the question is can you experience what jesus is offering if you are expecting something else hmm? jesus is offering something else and you are expecting something else are you getting it your expectation so people people get disappointed with god because their expectation itself was wrong now i was hoping for peace but god said my peace but you already have an understanding in your head peace is like that but that's the peace of the world no peace of the world okay so you have to allow your thinking to be controlled by the kingdom of god by the word of god we know the parable about the the two houses okay two houses very well known parable about two people who build the two houses now the house that was both houses were hit by storms okay now if you look at the aerial picture of bahamas looks like there is nothing there it's been devastated by the hurricane okay like you no know? but i am still sure some houses are standing okay because they were built in specific ways okay but the house that stood what made the house strong what kept the house from falling it was not the money that cost to build it that kept the house it was not the walls it was not the painting it was only one thing what was it it was the foundation it's only the foundation the only thing that mattered for the house not to fall was the foundation and jesus makes it very clear about that foundation in luke chapter 6 verse 47 to 48 okay yeah please everyone who comes to me now today everyone has come here you have not come to me you have come to him because we gathered in his name we sang praises to him and we are listening to his word everyone who comes to me and hears my word and, hears my word and, does, them, 
and does them. Okay? Who comes first? We come to Jesus. Second, we hear his word. Three, we do it. He says, you're building on that rock. That's the foundation. Okay? That's. So, what is most important is the starting point, the foundation. If you build your houses on opinions or our feelings, we are building on sand. Like, you know, like uh, people, like I said, the first example, when people believe a sin, they don't, they don't read the Bible, they don't pray, they don't go to church. <laughs> Why? No, I'm trying to first put my life right. Who told you? It's an opinion. It's an opinion. No wonder your house is so shaky. The house is so shaky. It's God never said you will not fall. He said you can come to that point where you scarcely fall. You don't. But that takes time. There's a lot of effort in that life. But he says, right? No? Uh, we broke down your uh, door one day, right? Caleb, many years ago. He said, go find him. He said, go find him. Many years ago. This guy won't come. And I know he's a good guy. And I know what he's struggling with. I said, go break his door and bring him. Tell him, you come to church, you'll be fine. Now he comes from Karnal to church. <laughs> okay? Because you need to know how different people struggle. Some people, there's no point going after them. But some people, you know, this is a struggle and this is his conception. I'll get right and get back with God. God says, you get, get back with me, you'll get right. So there is truth and there are opinions. And there are feelings. Okay, And God says, if you build our lives on opinions or feelings, and it doesn't matter how long that opinion has been there. It may be a 2,000 year old opinion. It doesn't matter. If it doesn't agree with the word of God, it's still a lie. There are a lot of opinions in religions, including Christian religion, which are opinions of men has got nothing to do with the word of God. And thousands and thousands of people have put their, risked their life literally on those opinions and will wake up one day and find they are in the wrong place. Because what is true is the word of God. The word of God, your foundation. That's why we build on God's word. It constantly building on God's word, like Peter when you ask. That's why I'll always say, you know, when you come over here or any place where the house of God gathers, even when the worship leader is singing and you are singing, go. When you are singing, we are not attracted by the music. Music is good. It, it attracts you first. But it's powerful is the lyrics. Powerful is the lyrics. And the second thing, even when the worship leader is speaking Listen very carefully to what is being said because often what is being said agrees with the word of God. Okay, like one of the things he said was, heaven and earth will pass away. Not a dot or in our Sanskrit, not even a matra. One matra can change. Hmm? Whole meaning, not even a dot. That's mean, long after the heavens is burnt and the earth is dissolved, the word of God is still standing. Okay? That's what it means. Heavens are gone. The heavens that we see, all that we see as today, it's gone. The earth we see as today has dissolved. And everything is new. But what is still standing? The word of God. And not even a dot has changed from the word. It's still standing as it is. Now, 
if you believe that, where should you put your faith in? If you believe that, what should you spend your time on? If you believe that, how should your thinking be changed? Okay, that's what God is saying. Because, let me tell you this, young believers, you cannot follow Christ casually. It's not possible. Take your own time. But, once you make your mind about Christ, you need to make a decision. I'm serious about him. There are certain things which man has to do from his will. I have made up my mind. Okay, we sing that song, but we don't mean that song. I have decided to follow Jesus. Okay, But that is a decision. Because you cannot follow Jesus casually. Because God was not casual about us. Because the thing is, Christ will demand that he rebuild our lives from the scratch. Okay? That's what he told Jeremiah. Uproot and plant. Deconstruct and construct. Okay? He will not allow you, if there is any area in your life which is faulty, he will say it is okay, we'll patch it up and build above it. He doesn't do that. Doesn't do that. Okay? You will have to go back. So the only cure to fear is faith. Faith. Not just a professing faith, but a faith that stakes everything on God. Absolutely, totally, trust, leans his entire weight on God. So, we look at fear again, the most thing that cripples people. Okay, how do you step by step by step deal with fear and come out of fear? How do you deal with fear? One, by faith, you trust in God. What do you mean by that? Okay, now if you, okay, this Wednesday they are sitting here. Last Wednesday the children were sitting over there. But if you have noticed anywhere, children will play happily. As long as they know their parents are around. We think children need entertainment. They don't. We actually spoil them by entertaining them. You leave them alone, they will play on their own. But every 5-10 minutes from the corner of their eye, they will look if you are around. Okay, like experience as parents and as other kids we brought up. No, that's all they want. They could play on their own. But once in a while, they will look around that you are there. No? Meaning, what is that? Where does that child security come from? The child security comes from that my father or my mother is watching me, is around, it's watching. How does our fear go? Our fear goes from really believing the word that God is always watching over his children. You know, one of the things Jesus said, you have to enter into the kingdom like a child. One of the things which a child has is that it, it does not, it has, most of the fears a child is that what we put it into that. A police is coming, eat fast. No police has ever come to arrest a child who did not eat fast. Okay? <laughs> Never in history have I heard anything like that. But that's the first thing we tell him, okay? And from that, that fellow, instead of respecting the police, is always afraid of the police. Okay? 
like we should have the reverence for the law and not terror of the law reverence of the law so most of the fears which people carry with them were put into them they put into them okay but god says be like a child know that i am watching over you watching over you i am always watching over my children issue is when trouble or conflict comes in our lives issues or conflict problems come in my life we lose sight of god we lose sight of god that's why i say you know one of the best places god puts so that we find our trajectory back with god is the place called icu i see you i see you. Okay. because he said okay you looked everywhere around you didn't look at me Okay, look at me. Okay, that's what happened to all the great ones. Yeah, Moses scripture says when he killed the man, he looked to the left, he looked to the right, and he hid the body. Little later, the sand came and uncovered the body. He did not look up. Not look up. Okay, same thing happened with David. All, all of us, the same. Okay, so one of the first things which God teaches us through, just interesting, not through the father of faith, Abraham. Or the mother of faith, Sarah, but what I call the maid of faith, called Hagar. She's not a father or mother, but the maid of faith. Okay, there are many, many maids of faith in Hyderabad who do better work than most pastors. There's an incredible movement going on in this city and every city in the world, which is done by maids who are believers. They have been given entry into Gentile homes and they see the faith of the maids and their prayer life and believe unbelievers come to the Lord. I'm telling you the truth, even in this city and all over China, it's the maids, okay? So there are maids of faith. In Genesis chapter 16, that's why there will be an incredible reversal in the kingdom of God where maids sit on thrones and earlier bosses sit on the floor. Okay, Genesis 16, verses 13 and 14. <coughs> this is after Hagar was shown the water and to go back. Okay, can somebody read? So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. Yeah. yeah. For she said, truly here I have seen him Elroy. Okay. Who named him Elroy? Hagar. Because he says, you are a God who sees. Okay. Nobody was watching her. God was watching her. A God who sees. One of the names of God in the Old Testament is what? Elroy. God who sees. He's a God who not only sees Abraham, man of faith, and Sarah, woman of faith, but also sees people whom we don't notice, regard at all, the maids, the garbage cleaners, right? The only people whom we shout at. We shout at them because we got this in our head, okay, that they should not, uh, that they, they live to serve us. It's ingrained into our mentality in India, okay, because of our 5,000 years of caste system, it's ingrained. That's, and we dislike those people prospering. I don't. I love it when they prosper. Really love it. Prosper. They need to prosper. They have lived under this curse for 5,000 years. They need to prosper. But think that this this is in our head that these are the people you know, who are born to serve us. But God says, I'm their God too. And I see them too. His eye is on them. 
the truth is most people in the world even in the church don't feel like abraham or sarah often they feel like hagar okay what is hagar used abused and discarded and accused okay discard and god says i am your god i see you i see you his eyes are on you elroy elroy <clears throat> that's how you take battle fear one of the why are the children not afraid at all how cool they are honestly i'm telling all these teenagers sitting here gss teenagers sitting over here you know how cool they are they know they don't have to worry but if tomorrow they were to be told just told it's not true okay pastors um, james and elsanti are very seriously ill and they are dying fear will get into their heart what will happen to us because they know their lives are intimately connected with us therefore they don't fear but if it were to be told we both are on the way out you will will see fear will grip their head because they will suddenly wonder where do i go only one who will be confident will be vikas because he finished and has got a job all the others will start wondering where do we go what if we go back to our village what will happen to our life you know why they don't fear because unconsciously they know there is somebody who is watching over them the children don't fear because they know there is somebody watching over there god says this is true in the kingdom of god my children don't have to fear because i'm always watching over you i'm always watching over you and not only just read um, matthew chapter 10 verse 29 and 30 not only is god watching over us yeah are not two sparrows are not two sparrows sold for a penny sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father he says not even a sparrow falls to the ground without your father knowing he says i know every one of my children i know them by name i know their address i know the situation i know them all and then next okay so but if even the hairs of your head are all he says not only am i watching over your overall life i am also watching over every detail of your life every detail of your life That's what he says. When you read these passages, that's where your confidence comes. God says, "Your hair is numbered. Your hair is counted. I know." Meaning, what does it mean? God is sitting and counting hairs? No. He says, "Every detail of your life, I am watching. I am watching. I am watching because you are mine. I am watching." He says, "I see. I see. I am Elroy who sees." and watches what that what should that do if it is real for us how do we know it's real for us it starts dealing with fear god is watching over me and god is watching over every detail of because there are details now you are studying after i finished my studies my job and uh, will i get a job and get a job will i get married if i get married so many fears are piled one over another but if god is watching over not only your overall picture but every detail the fear because what happens is according to your fear will come your confession or according to your faith will come your confession and confession matters words have power it matters in genesis chapter 7 verse 1 you will see an entire world 
absolutely scripture says every thought and inclination of their heart was evil wicked in the middle of it 7 1 then the lord said to noah mm. go into the ark mm. you and all your household mm. for i have seen you are righteous let us say 1 billion people 1 billion people all dressed in black one spot in that which is white god says i see you i see you Every thought of inclination of every man on earth is evil and you are righteous. I see you. Don't think I didn't miss you. I saw you. I've seen you. I've seen you. This is what gives you confidence. We have a God who sees. God who sees. No? Genesis chapter 31, if I am right, and verse 12. 31 and verse 12. Genesis 31, verse 12. He said, hmm. lift up your eyes and hmm. see, hmm. all the goats that made for the flock are striped, okay. spotted, and yeah. mottled. Yeah, and then? For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. You've been here 20 years, my son. How many times he changed your wages? 10 times. Right? He's trying everything to see you are not successful. And I'm seeing everything to see that you are successful. I'm seeing what is happening to here. That's what he said. Did you see? Whatever this guy does to harm you, I turn it around for your good. I'm seeing you. I'm seeing you. I've seen what Laban has done. It's your father-in-law. But I've seen what he has done. Don't think I'm not seeing. So God says, when things go wrong with us, all kind of things are happening in lives, in workplaces or whatever, God says, I see you don't worry. You don't be afraid. I see. Walk in faith. Believe. I am in control. I have set my timeline. 20 years is for Laban's house for Jacob. I have said, I've seen. I'm seeing it. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 to 9. Exodus 3. Read it slowly. Verse 7 to 9. And the Lord said. Lord said. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I have seen, I have heard, I know I know their sufferings. He says, I am intimately involved with the lives of my people. I am watching over you. I am El Roy. I am not a distant God. A statue who has to be given. I am a God who is intimately involved with your lives. I see, I heard, and I know. Intimately involved. If you go to the psalm, one of our well-known favorite psalms, Psalm 121, if you read words 7 to 9, okay, Psalm 121, <coughs> sorry, uh, yeah, 7 and 8, no, not seven, sorry, five to eight. There's no nine. So, uh, read from verse, uh, let's, uh, let's read from verse three. Yeah. He, yeah, he verse. Will not let your foot be moved. Mm. He who keeps Okay. Okay, let me read it in NIV, okay? Because that meaning is right, but let me read. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not 
slumber. Indeed, who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He says, not only do I not sleep or take a break, I'm always watching over you. Then, the sun shall not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life, your entire life. And verse 8, the Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Five times, or six times he uses the word, I watch, I watch, I watch. I don't take a break. I don't sleep. I don't slumber. And I am watching over your entire life. And this is the constant theme in the Bible. God is not there from a distance. He is there very close. And he says, do not fear. This is the faith that dispels fear. That is where the invisible becomes visible by faith. I know my God is near. My God is near. Okay? My God is near. So how do you deal with fear? First way, you know God is always watching over me. God is always watching over me. Okay? That's, that's a positive side. There's a negative side also. Okay? He tells that also in the book of Exodus. I have seen them and they are an obstinate people. That also he says. It's not that he sees only the chubby face and dimple cheek. Okay. He sees the other thing also. Okay, so he sees. So both sides are there. But this is the confidence children, God's children have. My God's eyes are upon you. His eyes are upon me. The second thing. Okay. A lot of Christians, believers, we all went through that phase. Sometimes still struggle. We fear to surrender. We fear to surrender to God. Meaning, we are scared of God's will. Though the Bible calls it good, pleasing and perfect. Okay. The problem is only a renewed mind can see the will of God is good, pleasing and perfect. Okay. Otherwise it will not. In Psalm 139 and verse 16, this is what scripture says. Psalm 139, verse 16. Hmm? Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Your eyes saw, saw my unformed substance. In and your book were written every one of them. And in your book, it, it was written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, hmm? when there was yet none of them. And? How precious to me are your thoughts over Ah, He says, even before you were formed, everything was written about me. Meaning the will of God was already there for everybody. Every page in our life was written. Are you getting it? How awesome it is, David is saying. Everything was already planned out by God. God had already planned out. Our job is to find it and walk in them. Everything was planned out. Thy name, thy kingdom, thy will. But the will of God only the mind that is renewed will understand or appreciate the will of God. If you try to approach the word of God with a carnal mind, we will not appreciate the will of God. We will not appreciate. But we approach the more of a mind is in tune with the kingdom of God, not with the world. The kingdom of God. We will Start appreciating the will of God. And you will see the 
once you appreciate the will of God, it surpasses every other relationship. Every other relationship. It becomes easy to surrender. You know, there's no fear to surrender to the will of God. Look at Mark chapter 33, uh, not 33, 3, 34 and 35. And I want you to read it in the message version. Message version. Chapter 3, verse 34 and 35. Somebody can read another version if you got it. Yeah. Got it? Chapter 3, 34. That's when his uh, mother and brothers come to call him. And he looked around in a circle. He looked around in a circle. And those who sat about him. And those who sat about him. Said, here are my mother. Here are, here are my mother. Here are my, and my brothers. And my brothers. So whoever does the will of God. Mm. Is my brother and my sister and mother. And mother. Okay. Yeah. Now read the message version. It's, it's cute. Okay. Jesus responded. Who do you think are my mother and brothers? Who do you think are my mother and my brothers? Looking around. Looking around. Taking in every seat, everyone seated around him, he said. He said. Right here, right in front of you. Right in front of you. My mother and my brothers. My b- mother and my brothers. Obedience is thicker than blood. Ah. <laughs> Obedience is thicker than blood. We say blood is thicker than water. But God says, which is true in the world. But in the world, obedience is thicker than blood. Okay. Those who have come together with the will of God, surrender to the will of God, that relationship is stronger than any blood relationship. Because one is temporary, the other is eternal. So God says you have to see it that way. When you obey my will, what happens to your relationship with me? What happens to your relationship with me? You become part of my family. Therefore, you don't have to fear to surrender to my will. A lot of people know one of the reasons believers are miserable is you will be only happy when you have surrendered to God's will because you were created for a purpose. So it doesn't matter how successful you may become in the world, you're still miserable inside. While the man in the world who doesn't know God when he becomes successful is very happy. But the man in the kingdom of God is not happy with success. Why? Because he knows something else. Is pushing him. So here God says, you know what? You don't have to be afraid to surrender to my will. And Romans 12, 2 is very, very, very clear. You cannot conform to the pattern of this world and still be able to test or approve God's will because it is contrary to each other. So you have to begin. One, God cares. God watches over me. And second, his will is perfect for me. And therefore, I will surrender to the unknown with no fear. I will not fear surrendering to God because his will is good, pleasing, and perfect. Okay? Please remember, because these are the reasons why people don't surrender. They don't surrender because they are afraid. They are afraid what will happen. Third thing. Reason there is fear. Fear is there because we have this lack of faith that God will give us. We don't really believe that God will give us what we need when we need it. We don't really, really believe God will give us what we need when we need it. 
Now, if he did not believe in that, will he tell us to pray, give us this day our daily bread? Understand the prayer, what he was saying? He said, this is how you need to pray. All our need was put in one line. Give us this day our daily bread. But we are afraid. We don't really, really believe God does give us what we need when we need. Fear is, one of the fears is lack of faith that God will keep his end of the bargain. Experientially, it is shown in the book of Exodus. Okay? We look at that portion, familiar portion, but we look at how he teaches Israel and is teaching us in the new covenant. Chapter 16, verse 11 onwards. The Lord looked to, said to Moses, I heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight, that's in the evening, you will eat meat. In the morning, you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. It's very interesting, okay, how scripture is written. You have to realize how scripture writes. Scripture writes to the carnal man, addressing the carnal man. You wanted meat, so that's written. What came in the evening is written first, not what came in the morning. Meaning in some meetings, what you have to do them is feed them first and then sit down and listen to the word. Otherwise, we won't listen to the word because your mind and your stomach is in the meal that is following. Sometimes they believe in pastors going to first feed them and they sit down there and listen. <laughs> okay? Look at what God is saying. The first thing is mentioned what is coming in the evening and then in the morning. Okay? Moses said, okay, when it fell, okay, when the dew was gone, thin flakes appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? That is what manna means. For those who do not know, manna means, what is this? Okay, that's the meaning of manna, what is this? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat, and this is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. Then the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who would gather little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Then they said to Moses, no one is to keep any of it until, and then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses, and they kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. What is he teaching them? What God was telling them is that you can trust me. You can trust me. But some of them did not trust. So some of them did not trust. I'm telling you, this is the only way you will know how you will grow. Because many people do not actually believe that one portion in God's prayer, 611. What is that? Give us this day our daily bread. You know, they don't, they say it very religiously every day, but they don't believe that God will meet your need when you need it. When you need it. And of course, the system will of, of course tap into that fear and create all kinds of investment opportunities. Can we trust God with our daily need? Whatever that need is, it's a question. He said, you can trust me. 
That fear, that fear has to be broken. Look at Exodus chapter 4 verse 12. Exodus 4 verse 12. Now then go, even I will be with your, with your mouth. Because what he has to do, he has to go to the Pharaoh and speak and he's afraid. What will I say? God says, don't worry. And teach you what you have to say. I'll be with your mouth and I will teach you what you, can you trust God? God says, you don't have to worry. If I'm sending you, I will also equip you. You don't have to worry. I'll be with your mouth and I will teach you what to say. You just obey. You just obey. Okay. Because these are all our fears. Fear, fear of surrender. Fear of no. Is God watching over me? Will God meet me at my point of need? Every Sunday I pray, Lord, meet your people at their point of need. Moses has to go to the Pharaoh and he has to speak. Now, a man who was very, very talented in speaking in the world. 40 years earlier. Now is absolutely, it's really, really stuttering. He says, I cannot speak. God says, don't worry. I'll be your mouth. And I'll tell you what to speak. In Matthew 10, verse 19. Matthew 10, verse 19. Okay, it's first remember it is not if they hand you over. <laughs> when they hand you over. Okay? When they hand you over. Don't worry about how or what to say. Now this is not about preaching, okay? Prepare and go to preach, okay? Okay, this is not about that, okay? There are a lot of preachers who wake up on Sunday morning and believe in this, nothing comes. Okay, no, that you have to appropriate scripture, work hard on scripture, wait on the Lord, and all those hard work is there, okay? Okay, don't worry, yeah, continue. It, it will be given to you in that hour. So when God is saying our daily bread, it applies to every area of our life. He says, you don't worry. I will meet you at your point of need. You have to believe. Okay? Because this is all connected with a person. That's why scripture says, even when we are unfaithful, he is faithful. This is banking on the person of God, the faithfulness of God. He loves you. That's why scripture says, Perfect love casts away all fear. What the, What is your trust in? It's not your love for God. Your trust is in God's love for you. He, that's what scripture says, he gave his only son for us. How much more will he give us all things? You look at that and you know what, Lord? I'm not banking on my works and on my faithfulness even. I'm banking on your love. I believe you care for me. I believe you're watching over me all the time. So I will not be afraid. I'll go to sleep happily. I can sleep because you don't sleep. And I can sleep not only because you don't sleep, your eyes are on me. You're watching over me, protecting me. I can. I can sleep. There's no fear because I know you care for me. You're watching over me. You, your thoughts towards me cannot be counted. All this is scripture. The beloved of the Lord rides upon his shoulders. He's talking about Benjamin. Okay, it's talking about all these things is from where our confidence comes to surrender. And we don't have to surrender to God's will because God's will, God says it's always good, pleasing and perfect. Not only now, irrelevant, eternally it will be, imagine something that is eternally perfect. Eternally perfect. Okay, that's what God is talking about, those 
You don't have to fear. And the third one he says is, you know what? What you need, I will give you at your point of need. And First Corinthians 10, 13, before we close that one and move to the next one. 10 and verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you mm-hmm. than that is common to man. Common to man. Everything that you go through, temptation, test, trial, is common to man. God is faithful. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted. First, he will not allow you to be tempted, tested beyond your ability. ability. So please, this is where confessions matter. Like That's what I said, no? What you believe is what you say. Because you don't believe in this, people say, I can't handle it anymore. It's too much. Too much. Men, women, everybody says too much. But that's not what God's word says. God says it's not too much for you. You're negating my word. That's not what I said. I said I will not give you more than you can handle. More than you can handle. And also when it happens, what happens? No, but with the temptation. With the temptation, trial, testing. He will also provide a way of... I will, he says, you will come through that victorious. You will come through that. Every God is saying, do you think... You see, let's think about uh, Pastor Vijay um, taking Emmy to ride her cycle. What is his intention? She should fall and hurt herself? But it's a test for her. The first time you learn to cycle, it's a trial and a test. But what was the intention? Intention was never that she should fall and hurt herself. Intention should that she would be mobile and she would learn to move faster. That's what God is talking about. Okay, He says, do you believe? Do you believe? This is how our fear comes. Fear goes. Because then you will look at everything that is happening in your life by saying, Lord, I believe that this will only make me better. This won't make me worse. It will only make me better. No? Only make me better. Okay, let's look at the fourth one. Before we close for tonight. Luke 12, verse 4 and 5. Meaning, fear is a result of lack of faith in how God looks at life. We look at life, the world looks at life, and God looks at life. And if you have faith, then you will look at life the way God looks at life. How does God look at life? Luke 12, verse 4 and 5. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. After that, they have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. I tell you. So what is he saying? I mean, how do you relate it to our life? What he is saying? Different aspects. But for tonight in the line of what we are thinking. Suffering and death are not the worst things you can encounter in life. Suddenly perspective changes. Okay. Now let's imagine all the parents who take their little child for vaccination. The child thinks that is the end of the world. But the perspective of the parent is there is something called rubella, measles, chickenpox, smallpox. That is, if you look at smallpox, it is nothing compared to this prick. Just look at perspective, what you are going in life. 
He says, that is how you look at life. That's how you look at life. He says, otherwise you will have a very warped view of suffering and death and will always try to run away from suffering because you are always caught in the physical and the suffering in the physical body and the death in the physical body without realizing there is another life that is coming. And if you do not know Christ, the suffering never ends, the fire never dies, the worm never dies and you are caught in that for eternity. And scripture calls it the second death. So he says, if you have a real, real, real perspective of life, suddenly you will look at life differently. You will understand faith. The eyes of faith will be opened. And worst case scenario. What is the worst case scenario of a human being? Tortured to death. There's nothing. Everybody's body has what is called a tolerance level. After that you black out. Then you die. You you cannot be kept on pain because your body conks out. Then you die. But what about the other side? What God says is true. There you never conk out. Never conk out. And it is forever and ever and ever. He says, if you live in perspective, if you understand perspective, suddenly you will realize. I still remember when my kids were small, no. The younger one, the first time and the only time he got spanked, he went and told his sister, Lala, you know what? Papu was whacked me today. Her perspective, that is nothing. I remember when he spanked me, he broke the ladle. <laughs> you know, immediately he felt good. <laughs> he felt good. I got only two weeks. You, he broke the ladle. Perspective suddenly changes. Hey, this is this is what I got. It's nothing. You know how perspective. God says, you know, if you see perspective, the kingdom perspective, suddenly you look at life differently. Fear goes because what is man's ultimate fear? It's fear of pain, fear of death. And God says it's nothing. It's nothing. Compare it to the kingdom perspective. What awaits those who do not know Christ? What awaits? Because one fear here has to be replaced with a healthy fear. Healthy fear. He says, fear him. Don't fear him. Don't fear this. Fear him. Okay. Reason? Not one suffering or pain that you go through is in vain or without purpose. Understand that. It is acting out a purpose. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 16 and 18, and then we'll close there today with one more portion. Yeah, let's finish that train of thought. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 16 to 18. So we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Outer body is wasting away. All this what you are talking about is happening to the outer body is wasting away. But ah, this is the reality of the believer who is growing in faith. Our issue is that if you don't experience the inner man being renewed, then we only see the outer man perishing. But if you experience the inner man 
you know in a man is being renewed there's more clarity you see better you see better you hear better things are falling all into place like moses is written about 120s eyes are sharp his strength is there or jacob at the last day he sees much much more very clearly so that's talking about outer man is perishing but inner man is being renewed and then this what we are going, he's seeing, he's got absolute perspective. Okay, he went through like no man's business. But he calls it very light and very momentary. How did he think about it as light and momentary? Why? Because it is preparing for us eternal weight of glory. He saw it in the perspective of the eternal kingdom of God. That is why it became light. Okay, it 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 is the weight of glory this affliction is light. The weight of glory that is waiting for you there, this affliction is light. This is momentary because that is eternal. He compares both. One is light, the other is heavy. One is momentary because the other is eternal. He says that's how you look at life. And if you look at life through faith's eyes, then suddenly what will happen? Perspective changes. Perspective changes. And you realize... Fear, because these are all ways in which the enemy traps us in fear. People are trapped. And if you read that same portion from chapter 5, because it's a continuation, because chapter divisions were never there. Let's read uh, 5. Now we know, okay, look at how beautifully they use words. We know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God. Tent? And building from God. An eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Okay, that is the cry of the saints. The the saints are always groaning to be released from this body. Released from this body. Okay, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent... We groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. For it is God who made us for this very purpose and has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. That is the actual sign. So when believers say they're having a blast in this world, they haven't seen the invisible. They haven't seen the invisible. No, haven't seen the invisible. It's like the child who has tasted sugar and never had ice cream. Or chocolate. So its comparison is only with sugar. You know, on the other hand, because God says the walking in faith is where you actually have a taste of heaven. And the taste of heaven takes away all fear because every fear is connected with Death and loss. Death and loss. And God says, it is nothing. It is nothing. And that is what God is talking to us about. Talking to us about. Our perspective has to change. And when fear actually goes and faith comes in, we actually become more useful to God on earth. In this life. More useful to God. Because God cannot use people who do not walk by faith. You cannot use people who walk by sight. He is able because you are released from fear. And God is able to speak to you. 
And then God knows you will obey him. Because there is no fear. But if you are a believer only saved from the penalty of sin, but you are controlled by fear, God cannot speak to you. Cannot speak to you. He has to take you. So everything that you and I are going through is to make us more useful for God. Now, and eternally useful for God. Amen? Amen. Shall we pray? Father, this evening we just come to you, Lord. We just thank you, we just praise you, we just worship you, Lord. Help us to see, Lord, the reality that you are a God who lives in that invisible. And everything in this visible is impacted by the invisible. And we are the only people who have tasted that eternal kingdom. Your kingdom, which is within us. Which very soon one day will be outside of us. And I pray there will be a change in perspective every time we hear your word. And even tonight when we go back, Lord, we continue to meditate upon your word. We continue to listen to your word. Each day we begin and end with the word. Because your word is life. And it will change the way we look at life. And fear will go. And faith will get strengthened. Oh, Father, you brought us all safely tonight. And I pray, Father, you will also reach everyone safely, Lord. Watch over all your children. Protect them, preserve them, keep them, Lord. We put our trust in you and our hope in you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. amen.